0: Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you again. I'm Chris Anderson, the teacher of Class A40, and it's my privilege to bring to you this week's Explore the Bible lesson from the Gospel of Luke. Today, we are backing up in time from last week's Easter focus. And in Luke chapter 19, we find Jesus arriving in Jericho on his final journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And he will shortly turn east and follow the highway leading to Bethany, then on to the Mount of Olives, the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and then to the upper room, Gethsemane, and finally to the cross. Our story is about a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus, who lived in the Levitical city of Jericho. Now, old Jericho is an extremely important archeological site, being one of the earliest known continuous settlements on the planet, dating perhaps back to about 9,000 BC, having the oldest known protective wall in the world. The hometown of Zacchaeus is not the Jericho that Joshua conquered, however, but a nearby and totally new Jericho that had been built by Herod the Great. Now Luke tells us that as Jesus approached Jericho, he encountered the blind beggar Bartimaeus, who called on Jesus for mercy and received his sight because of his faith. Many people praised God for this miracle, including the large group of disciples who were accompanying Jesus along with many pilgrims on their way to celebrate the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. This crowd, along with the jubilant but still penniless Bartimaeus, now enter the city gates of Jericho, where Jesus will meet a very rich man, setting the stage for today's story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Well, before I read the passage, let's open in a brief word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege of having your Holy Scriptures in front of us this morning, that we can look into them and learn more about you to be challenged and and learn more about how we are to uh, be obedient to you and follow you in our daily lives. And we ask your time that this time uh, together uh, would be used well and that you help us to uh, Dig deep into the scriptures and enjoy this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll read Luke chapter 19 and the first 10 verses from the New American Standard Bible. And it begins as follows Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, did any of you send a Christmas or Happy Easter card to the IRS this year? Apparently not. How about this? Was anyone disappointed when the IRS extended the April 15 tax deadline to May 17? Well, I guess we all know taxes are not fun, and taxation wasn't popular in Jesus' time either. And Zacchaeus is identified as a chief tax collector. The word for chief tax collector in verse 2 is, is unique to Luke and it's composed of the Greek word for a tax collector plus the prefix arch, such as found in archbishop or archangels. So this indicates a very high level official. And now Jericho was an ancient oasis city and an important center for collection of customs duties and other taxes due to its location. It sat near the crossroads of a major east-west highway that took traffic between Judea and Perea, and also the north-south highway that Jesus was using on his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Now, in the Bible, tax collectors are often referred to as publicans, and these very unpopular people were employed by Rome to collect taxes, customs, tolls, imposts, and things of that nature. And since Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, That would indicate that he contracted with Rome to collect taxes and then hired others to assist in the work. Publicans were notorious for imposing larger taxes than required by the law and pocketing the difference. And publicans were held in the lowest esteem among the Jewish people because they were employed by the Roman oppressors and because they reaped excessive profits. So both traitorous disloyalty and greed are involved here. They were placed in the same category as harlots, according to Matthew 21.32. In parts of the New Testament, we see the word sinners used as almost a social class of lawbreakers and ceremonial unclean persons that include people like camel drivers and tanners, harlots, and the tax collectors. And this category phrase of, quote, tax collectors and sinners appears eight times in the Gospels. But we can also recall how Jesus' thoughts and feelings about tax collectors were quite different from the crowds. We know he often spent time with tax collectors and sinners because this was a common criticism from the Pharisees. And in today's passage, as well as in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, we see tax collectors in the light of a humbled, pe- of a humbled person or, or people who are, ge- are greatly aware of their need for a savior. And also of note is that one of the 12 apostles was Matthew, a former tax collector. Now in verse three, we find the phrase, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. As we have seen in our earlier studies in Luke on this point, uh, up to this point, this was a key question that Luke presented to his Greek speaking audience in the context of different episodes so that his readers could come to their own conclusions, that Jesus was a speaker of truth, a miracle worker, the Messiah, and the Son of God who offered forgiveness for sin and salvation for their souls. And here, in chapter 19, Luke presents this question that every person must answer. Is Jesus the Savior of mankind and your Savior, or is he something less? And again at the end of this Zacchaeus story, Luke will show us the answer. What are some observations we can make about Jesus's walk through Jericho? Jericho was one day's journey from Jerusalem and was probably a common stopover for travelers. So it seems likely that Jesus intended to spend the night there in Jericho. And this partly explains Jesus's saying, today I must stay in your house. Also, we note that Jesus had collected a crowd, and Zacchaeus was too short to get a good look over them. Also, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Now, hypothetically, Jesus could have previously met Zacchaeus during his other journeys, but Zacchaeus's desire to, quote, see who Jesus was, close quote, indicates that Jesus is more likely exhibiting his omniscience as he invites Zacchaeus by name to come down from the sycamore tree. And I have no really good idea why Luke wanted us to know what kind of a tree Zacchaeus climbed into, uh, but it, let me note that it's not an American sycamore. This is, this is typical of the area. It's more of a fig tree, and the commentators do note that it was relatively easy to climb. Uh, for some as important as a chief tax collector, however, Uh, Many commentators uh, have noted that it would have been rather undignified for this man to be running down the sidewalk and finding a tree to climb into. So what would prompt this impulsive and unseemly behavior? Luke does not directly provide this information, but we can speculate, and at least two reasons come to mind. First, we know that Jesus was hugely famous at this time and drew large crowds. So hearing that Jesus was arriving in town might make anyone want to get a good look at this celebrity. And some commentators see in the the crowd the barrier that they made so Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. Plus Zacchaeus climbing up the tree is a symbolic picture of Zacchaeus' exclusion from Jewish society. A second piece of speculation is that a friend might have previously told Zacchaeus about the amazing things that Jesus was saying and the miracles he was doing, but more likely though is that the Holy Spirit had already been at work in Zacchaeus' heart about his life and his failures to abide by the laws of God. Now in verse 5, Jesus arrives at the sycamore tree and he calls up to the tax collector by name, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. And we recall what Jesus had said on an earlier occasion, recorded in John 10, verse 3. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And also notice here the urgency, the insistence in Jesus' first words to Zacchaeus. He says, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And these words must have had a big impact on Zacchaeus. He knows my name. Perhaps there's also excitement and a sense of wonder. At the very least, Zacchaeus appears very responsive to Jesus, and as we will see, treats him much more as a messenger from God than a mere celebrity. Now let's look a little more deeply at the words, I must stay at your house. We can observe that the Greek word for must here is Day, spelled D-E-I. And it's interesting that it can be used to mean it is proper, it is binding, it is necessary, it is inevitable. In the context of this passage, this little word must implies a divine necessity. And Jesus considered this meeting with Zacchaeus as a divine appointment. Now, if you think perhaps that's a little over, over uh, that I was a little too strong in that statement, let's look at some more context that we can get from the scriptures. So if we look at John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40, we read, everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Also in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And finally, at the end of our passage today, in verse 10, Jesus will say, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus was one of the lost, who the Father had chosen before the creation to be given to his Son Jesus as an adopted Son. So here we see the doctrine of God's election by the Father and why Jesus had to come to keep his divine appointment with Zacchaeus. It is necessary and it is inevitable because he came to do the Father's will, and the Father wanted Jesus to bring salvation to the chosen Zacchaeus. And it was also Jesus' last opportunity to meet with Zacchaeus in Jericho, because Jesus also had one last divine appointment to keep in Jerusalem. Finally, notice in verse 6 that Zacchaeus hurried down the tree and received Jesus joyfully. Now, there is much more to this word received, or in your translation, maybe it says welcomed, than we might see at first glance. Zacchaeus was being much more than simply being hospitable. And these words may symbolically mean that he was receiving Jesus into his heart. He was welcoming his new Lord. Well, we do notice, or have hopefully haven't forgotten, there's a crowd of people here, and we want to look at what they were up to. So look now at verse 7. While the crowd is witnessing the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus, they begin to murmur and grumble. Luke does not tell us everything that the crowd was grumbling about, but the theme is that Jesus is consorting with a notorious sinner and they strongly disapproved. In several other instances, Jesus had been criticized for meeting with tax collectors and sinners, so we're not surprised at the crowd's response. We should be aware, though, that Luke is using some hyperbole when he says, All the people began to mutter, because other episodes in Luke during this journey to Jerusalem tell us that the crowds included many of Jesus' own disciples. About this verse, Burton Kaufman noted, That great multitude clamoring for the kingdom of God to start did not have the slightest conception of what God's kingdom truly would be. And I find this fascinating. Because now Jesus will address this very, this very same misunderstanding in the next passage in Luke, which begins in verse 11 with the parables of the 10 minas as Jesus continues to talk to this crowd in Jericho. And it begins, it says in verse 11, Now while they, the crowd, were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. In other words, they saw Jesus as coming as a new king to reestablish the Davidic throne in Jerusalem and throw the Romans out. Well, as Luke presents this story, it might seem as though the crowds muttering, the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus, as well as Zacchaeus' remarkable response in verse 8, are all occurring in the shadow of the sycamore tree. Again, Luke is a bit skimpy with these details, but the crowd most likely was still following along as Zacchaeus led Jesus to his house, which seems to fit with Jesus' words about this house that we see in verse 9. In either case, the situation seems to be that Zacchaeus is responding to both Jesus as well as the crowd in their criticisms and accusations when he says in verse 8, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. In any event, we are reaching the conclusion of this story with this grand and beautiful announcement which speaks to Zacchaeus's repentance, even though the word repent never appears. Remember Luke's observation in verse 2 that Zacchaeus was rich, thereby suggesting a contrast with the poor Bartimaeus, and hinting that his wealth will be an issue in this story. And here in verse 8, Zacchaeus tacitly acknowledges his sin and how he has conducted his business. Now regarding repentance, Daniel Fuller once wrote, We understand why in the Bible repentance precedes faith. Before people find their need in God, they are looking to other things, often money, for satisfaction. So believing in God has to involve a 180-degree turn away, that is, repentance, from the love of money to find contentment and confidence for the future simply in knowing God and depending on His promises. So I think it's fair to see Zacchaeus's extravagant promises are the outpouring of a regenerated and joyful heart and a saved soul. He certainly is not bargaining with Jesus on the basis of his good works, but just as he joyfully came down from the tree, Zacchaeus will joyfully and generously make things right with anyone he has cheated, overcharged, or defrauded, far more than the 20% penalty that would be required by the Levitical law. And Zacchaeus is not, of course, saved by his sacrificial giving, but his actions do illustrate the teaching in in James 2.18. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In addition, we can see Zacchaeus' generous giving as a thank offering coming from his changed heart. As one commentator summarized this, this story of Zacchaeus, This whole incident is the epitome of the messianic mission described in Luke, where Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, let's move now to verse nine. And without all the details about repentance and faith being spelled out, we know that the rich man Zacchaeus was saved because Jesus said so. And the camel has jumped through the eye of the needle. Jesus now proclaims that Zacchaeus, the despised tax collector and sinner, is also a son of Abraham. And by saying this man, Jesus is announcing this to the gathered crowd who had looked down on Zacchaeus and excluded him from their community for all these years. These words from Jesus also tell us today that no one is so disreputable as to be excluded from the church or from our personal fellowship. So who is a son of Abraham? This term describes a person who is a true Jew, one who not only was a descendant of Abraham, but who also walked in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. And we can only imagine how Zacchaeus must have felt when Jesus publicly announced his status as a true son of Abraham after these many years of being treated as an outcast by his own people. Now, how can we understand how being a son of Abraham actually signifies salvation? Well, we can understand that being a son of Abraham is the same as being a child of faith because the Apostle Paul makes this very clear. In Romans 4, verse 12, and Galatians 3, 7, Paul writes these, Abraham is the father of all who believe without being circumcised that righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, section four of the Baptist Faith and Message is helpful here just to review Uh, the part on salvation. The following two excerpts from section 4 clearly describe what happened with Zacchaeus. Regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. The Baptist Faith and Message goes on to state, Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. In this passage, Luke comes back to one of his major themes of his gospel, the Great Reversal. Where the first will be last, and the last will be first. The lost will be found. The humble will be exalted, and the proud will be brought down. The sick will be healed. The blind will see, and the lame will walk. The prisoners will be set free. The dead will be made alive. And for Zacchaeus in particular, the outcast will be brought into the fellowship of God's kingdom. So in conclusion... Let me know if you've ever had this experience. You come across a teacher or a preacher or an author who you come to enjoy and think their teaching or advice is great and right on the money, and you may follow this preacher for years or buy the author's books and recommend them to your friends. But then this person who you hold in high esteem does something or says something that you don't like. Perhaps they indicate that their politics are different from yours. Or perhaps there's an accusation of immoral behavior. What do you do? Do you unfriend them, throw away their books? Or do you stop listening to them, like the crowd in Jericho who liked Jesus, until he went to a tax collector's house? And there was a major incident of this type that happened to Jesus, as we read in John 6, verse 66 where some of his disciples, not the crowd, but his disciples, no longer followed him because portions of his teaching were hard to hear and offensive. It may also have happened whenever some, quote, very correct Jewish believer saw Jesus associating with people in the outcast group called sinners. Are there any teachings of Jesus that you will not accept? Or are we, like Zacchaeus, the kind of committed follower of Jesus, who joyfully goes above and beyond in our obedience and service for the Lord. And this brings us to some additional applications in this passage. I see that Zacchaeus' story highlights several things that apply to each of us. First, we need to have a deep concern for the outcast in our world, and I mean by our world, all the way down to our neighborhood. And secondly, to see people through the eyes of Jesus not through the eyes of the crowd. We must also be careful not to allow the crowds of our culture and its worldviews to block our view of Jesus. And lastly, we should express our gratitude for our salvation with generous giving from a joyful heart. And you'll notice I've been mentioning or emphasizing the word joy often uh, in our talk today and in the passage. And so as we close, let's remember that Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his life joyfully. And joy is a key theme in Luke's gospel. One reason we should have joy today is that we share in the kind of wealth that really matters, not from the world, but from our Lord. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 that the child of God is born rich, for he shares every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ and that we also enjoy the riches of God's mercy and his grace that he lavishes on us. In Philippians 4.19, Paul adds that we enjoy the riches of God's glory in Christ. And finally, in Romans 11.33, Paul teaches that we have access to the wisdom and the knowledge of God that is so great, it exceeds our ability to fully search them out. So there we are, a lot to think about and ponder and pray about, about this little story about a little man. And I hope you've enjoyed our teaching today from Luke's Gospel, and I'm certainly looking forward to when we can do this again face to face. So let's close now just in a brief word of prayer. Thanking the Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for um, the wealth of riches in your scriptures and the great privilege that we have to look into your word anytime we wish and to come to churches like First Baptist Keller and listen to great sermons and good teaching. We pray that you will help the story of Zacchaeus to stick in our hearts, to guide us in how we go through our days, to be aware of the people around us, to keep our eyes focused and fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. I ask your blessing on everyone here today who's listening, and we just pray that you'll guide us in this great walk we have with your son, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.